please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 this morning. We are continuing in our study of God's Word. And as we open up the Word of the Lord, would you pray with me as we begin to study God's Word together. Father in heaven, this is your Word. We pray, Father, that you would open our hearts to receive it cause our minds to rejoice over it, and may we put our lives under it, to be shaped by it, that we may learn that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, who is, as your word tells us, the word, your word, your perfect word. It is in his name, Christ Jesus, we pray, amen. Recently, a, a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we signed up three of our boys to play in a community flag football league on Saturdays. And so uh, yesterday, the last couple of weeks, I have been doing that. I am coaching, helping out with coaching with one of their teams and uh, just by the way, we, as of yesterday, they've had their first double headers, and they are all undefeated, so <laughs> I do expect the Eagles to be calling any moment to sign one of them, but they can't play on Sundays, so that'll limit their options. But uh, at this age, you know, for, for many of these kids, some of them have been playing for years, doing what the coach has been asked. They've been in this league, then other leagues, and you can immediately tell the difference. But for most of the kids, this is new to them. And so even whether they've been doing this for a long time or whether this is their first time, the goal of this league is that the kids would simply grow. Some kids are still learning to catch. We're all still learning to catch. Some kids are learning to throw the ball well learning how to hold it, learning how to run with the ball, learning how to, to pull the flags, all the little things that we're teaching plays, doing all sorts of things. There's growth, and that's the, that's the goal. Last Sunday afternoon, my wife and I had the privilege of coming and listening to the piano recital of a number uh, uh, of Jill Watkins. Jill, where are you? She, she's, oh, she's with the, the kids, probably. Uh, Jill has a number of piano students. They had a recital last week, Sunday afternoon. Some of, your, some of you are here this morning, but, and I imagine it was the same with you. It is the same with you. No one sits down to the piano for the first time and plays uh, a difficult piece like Chopin's uh, fantasy impromptu flawlessly. No, no one does that. I mean, I can't even play chopsticks flawlessly. You don't just sit down unless you are an incredible piano player and, and play something perfectly. You grow, you learn. Whether it's piano or art or carpentry or working at something or a sport, there is a period of growth and really that growing never really ends. You're always learning something new. And when we come to Jesus, when we come to faith in Christ, we don't immediately pop onto the scene as mature, finished products. 
we grow. We have to grow. And one of the things that I love about the Bible's portrait is, especially here in Genesis, we see the growth of the faith of Abram. He goes from hesitantly obeying the call of God to leave family and home in the early parts of Genesis 12. And here, in in the end of chapter 12, he kind of takes a little bit of nosedive in the faith. And then he responds better. But at the beginning, he's not exactly a, a hero of faith. He's not exactly someone you would look at and say, that guy's incredible. But by the end of his life, he's willing to risk everything, believing that God can do what would seem to be impossible. And he becomes a hero of the faith, one worth writing about, one that we read about earlier in Hebrews 11. And God doesn't, I love how the Lord doesn't gloss over and hide the faults of Abram and of the patriarchs. In fact, if you have ever, if you can remember your first time reading through the Bible or just the book of Genesis, perhaps you'd been a Christian for a while, perhaps you were a new believer and you read through the Bible for the first time, one of the things that might have stuck out to you was how bad those early figures were. I mean, they're kind of disgusting, scandalous. We're about to read a scenario in which Abram tells his wife to tell everyone else that she's not his wife so that nothing bad will happen to him. What kind of cowardly man is that? And the Bible doesn't gloss over it. it. It is honest with us. It depicts the growth of this man's faith and it shows us how we must grow as well. What we are about to see as we look at the end of Genesis chapter 12 and the chapter 13 is we are going to see these two chapters highlight some of that growth of Abram. In fact, Genesis 12 and Genesis 13 will show us two failures. One of Abram in Genesis 12, one of Lot in Genesis 13. Both are a failure to trust God and his promises. But in chapter 13, Abram seems to learn his lesson, at at least temporarily. And he trusts the Lord in in an amazing way. What we see is that first we must live by what is real and not by what we feel. To live by what is real and not by what we feel. And then the second, to live in light of God's faithfulness, not our faithlessness. So what we will do this morning is try to take both of these chapters, because the stories parallel one another. Moses seems to bring them together to show us not only the growth of Abram, but to show us how Abram and Lot fail... And then how, through Abram's faith in chapter 13, we may see and lay hold of the promises of God. So look with me at chapter 12, live by what is real and not by what you feel. Verse 10 and onward, what we see here is that Abram is... Soon after he enters into the promise, into the promised land, the, the land that God has promised to one day give him, there is a famine. 
Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. And this does begin to sound a little bit like the story of Israel later on, doesn't it? In fact, if I had time, we could, we could unpack all of the parallels. There are numerous parallels. Famine drives him down into Egypt. There are plagues upon Pharaoh who releases him, exiles him, sends him away. In fact, Abram leaves richer than when he came. All of this is screaming a parallel to the people of Israel, which I wonder, this, this would have been given to the people of Israel soon after they exited Egypt that first time. I wonder if they they would have said, made this connection. I'm certain they would have. Look, we're following in the footsteps of our forefather, Abram. This is incredible. And they themselves are a picture of Christ who himself as a child is taken down to Egypt. And as the author of Hosea, God in a, Hosea says us, tells us that it is his son that he calls out of Egypt and Christ with his family comes out of Egypt at a time, at the appropriate time. But here, all of that, we don't have time to get into. He goes on, verse 11, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. His wife at this time is 65 years old. And yes, the ages are different, but apparently she was such a stunning beauty that even at 65, she, he was afraid that she would be taken from him. I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance, therefore it will happen. When the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. I have a feeling that after he gets out of Egypt with Sarai, he probably had some issues explaining this line of thinking. He's basically using Sarai as a human shield. You are going to be taken, but I'm going to live. Let's, 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 let's work this out. What we see is that this is a failure of faith on Abram's part. It is a failure to trust God's promises. Remember, God has promised to make of him a great nation. He has promised to make his name great. He has promised to give him a land. He has promised to, to have descendants come from him, to, have, to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. And Abram forgets all of that in light of the possibility that he might lose his life. Perhaps he thought that he could get in and out of Egypt without anyone noticing. The word he uses there is translated to dwell. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. Here in the New King James, it's translated to dwell. In other translations, it is to, to sojourn. It's the, the idea, he's not coming down to Egypt to, to buy a home and put down roots. Rather, he's coming down and he's, he's going to rent for a few months. That, that's the image. He's living in a tent. He's hoping, it seems, that no one notices that he's there, that he escapes notice, and they can get in and back to the promised land before anyone notices. But just in case, this is what he's asking his wife to do, to, to lie. And Abram, out of fear, he lies to everyone. And, and technically, there is some half-truth. We looked at that last week. 
that she is his half-sister, which is more than a bit icky for us, but was it socially acceptable in their time. The Lord had not yet laid, made a law against it. And he lies, asks his wife to lie, and all of this he is doing outside of faith. He is doing it out of fear. He is afraid. He was afraid of losing his life. And he is, ultimately, what he's trying to do here, and I think we can appreciate this, he is trying to control the outcome. Perhaps in the back of his mind, he's thinking, God has promised me this, therefore, I don't want to jeopardize it, so I'm going to, I'm going to do these things. If we lie, then I can get that. But that's not the way it works. Even as he's trying to control the outcome, he is failing to trust in God and in his ways. And if we are at all honest, we do this ourselves. We're afraid of what may happen to us, so we can justify all sorts of actions and thoughts. Kids, your parents ask you, did you get into the cookie jar? Did you do this? Did you clean your room? Did you not do something? And you, out of fear, may be tempted to lie. Spouses lie to one another just to make life a little easier, to keep that person from getting angry at us. Try to manipulate and control the actions of others so that we can get our way. Perhaps we're just afraid of what will happen in our country. And so that normally we are gracious and kind people, but when we see what is happening and we read about it, we go online and we begin writing all sorts of things. We become a different person, a monster. Saying things that we would never say to someone's face. We're liberated to, to write behind a screen name. Some of us may be afraid of what may happen in the future, and so we are stocking up on ammunition. There's nothing wrong with wanting a gun and, and, and getting that ammunition, but if our motivation is that we are going to fight our way for freedom, brothers and sisters, there's not enough bullets in the world that can match the power of God. And the media fuels it on the left and the right, fueling fear, engaging us. Brother and sister, we are not to live by fear, but by faith. Not to live out of what might happen to us, might happen to our home, might happen to our world, might happen to our kids, or to that person that we like or love, but rather we are to live out of what God has told us, not according, we are to live not according to what we feel, but by what is real, even when we do not see what is real, just as Abram couldn't see the finished promises that God has given him. And the consequences for Abram's actions are, are severe. We read it in verses 14 to 16 that 
Abram's wife Sarah is taken. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful, and the princes of Pharaoh, so it gets to the top. She is so beautiful that apparently her beauty, the, the rumors of her beauty spread even to Pharaoh himself. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house, put into his harem. And she, there was, we have to be clear here, there would have been a period of time in the harem before he could have gone into her. And so she and him have not consummated the marriage. In fact, in the next passage, we'll see when Pharaoh rebukes Abram that he still calls her his wife. He's not yet consummated the marriage, but he brings her into his house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, male donkeys and camels. He gives to him the price of, a, of the wife. And then we see what the Lord does. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram, realizing what the root cause of this prob these problems are. And he rebukes him publicly. What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. That, that is strong language. It's like he's being exiled, banished out of Egypt. He, Pharaoh wants nothing more to do with him. Every now and then... Christians act in such a way publicly that it is embarrassing. And the Lord rebukes his people through people who do not belong to him. And we see that. And that is what is happening here. Pharaoh is, uh, Abram is embarrassed, publicly rebuked, and exiled. He leaves Egypt. Not a very good start to his life of faith. And yet... He does get better. But before we, we, we turn back to his faith and how it grows, let's look at chapter 13. And we will see the example of Lot, who also fails to trust the Lord. This is a familiar passage as well for, for many of us. But Lot teaches us that we are to live not by our own sense, but by what God has said. We see in verses 2 and 5 that Abram and Lot have grown wealthy. Abram was very rich, verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And skip down with me to verse 5. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And so there is this burgeoning growth on both of their parts. Abram has increased dramatically, not in the least because Pharaoh has allowed him to take that bridal gift that he gave to him. He has allowed him to keep it all as a sign of goodwill. Lot too has increased and this increase has caused tension and hostility. We see this in verses 6 to 7. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. 
the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. The, the image here is that you have these people groups, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, dwelling in this place, and they owned land. And Lot and Abram, they don't own anything. So they can only take their herds to, to places that is not owned, not overseen, not controlled by these other people groups. They can only water their herds at places that is not controlled or owned by these other people groups. The land just isn't enough for them. So we see Abram respond, and he, he will respond in faith here, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But Abraham, Abram gives Lot the first choice of land in verses 8 to 9, but in verse 10 to 11, we see Lot's evaluation. Look with me, verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Lot's response, in fact, it, Lot's response is very similar to what we see Eve's response in chapter 3 of Genesis is. In fact, this very much the same terminology that we see in her decision. She saw the fruit and it looked good according to her evaluation. So we see that same kind of terminology here. Lot goes and he, he's looking all over. He's perhaps looking at a map. Perhaps Abram has taken him on a hill. Whatever it is, he sees east of the land that God has promised this beautiful, well-watered area compared to the, the Garden of Eden. And he chooses that. And purely on a scientific level, purely on a rational, commonsensical level, we would say he chose well if he would have consulted uh, a real estate agent. Find me the best property. This would have been the very first piece of property that the real estate agent said. You get to choose wherever you're going to go. Let me show you the very best. This, I was going to take this. This was going to go on, you know, the, the ancient world version of um, um, the Home Shopping Network. Or, or, or not Home Shopping, that's a, the wrong one. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I don't watch those. But you, with the homes, you get to see the property. Okay, you got it. So anyway, this would have been... First case, this would have been where the rich and the famous of the ancient world live. This was cribs for the ancient world. And what ends up happening is Lot sees it and he loves it. And he goes. But I want you to understand what is happening here. This makes total human sense. It is rational. It's easily explainable. But God didn't make promises to Lot. Who did he make promises to? Abram. It would have been better for Lot to lose all that he had and stay with Abram than to increase in prosperity, which he seems to do initially by moving. 
Because by the end of Lot's life, and, and we, we, we can't track it now, but chapter 14, he is kidnapped, he and his family, and Abram comes to the rescue of him. And then in chapters 18 and 19, we find the story of Sodom and Gomorrah unpacked. And it ends with Lot in a cave with no possessions, his wife having been killed, judged by the Lord. And there he is drunk, committing incest with his daughters. It is hard to get worse than what we see Lot doing by the end of his life. Rather than trusting what God had declared, rather than trusting what God had said, he trusts his own sense. Rather than trusting the word of God, he trusts his own wisdom. What is the basis on which we make our decisions? This goes way beyond the nitty-gritties of real estate. This goes to who we love. The world says we should love whoever we want to love. Because love is love. But God cares who we love. He cares about who we sleep with. He cares about who we date, how we date, who we marry. God cares about what we do with our money. And he promises that those who give it and sacrifice it, he will deal generously with. He cares about the way husbands treat their wives. In fact, husbands, God says, if you do not treat your wife according to his word, he will not hear your prayers. Kids, God cares about the way you listen and respond to your parents. The world was filled with promises, advertisements telling you what will make your life better. But we are called to live not by our own sense or the sense of the world, not to live by polls or data, but to live by God's word. And before we leave this scene, we need to see something. That Lot's decision on the foundation, on the face of it, made sense to the world. Which tells us that if we are going to follow the Lord, sometimes it's going to look insane to others. We'll make sacrifices. We'll, we'll do things with our money. We will do things with our time. You are here this morning wasting a perfectly beautiful day outside. Don't you guys, men, women, don't you have things to do this morning at home? Projects to complete? Lawns to mow? Oh, it has started. We need to live our lives in such a way that are only fully explainable in light of eternity. Live your life in such a way that the people of this world may not get, but that you will be eternally rewarded for. Moving on, we don't, we don't have time to dwell there. 
Not only are we to live in light of what is real, not in what we feel, and to live according to what God has said, not according to our sense. We are to live in light of God's faithfulness, not our faithlessness. We see this in, back in Genesis chapter 12. Look at me. You can just see this in verses 2 and 3. God's promises. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are unilateral promises that God says he will do for Abram. And the question we might ask ourselves is, coming into chapter 13, Abram leaves Egypt. Will God still be faithful to these promises? I wonder if Abram felt like you and I sometimes feel. Totally unworthy. Ready for the Lord to just scratch our name off the nice list. Ready to kick us to the curb. Maybe God loves us, but he really doesn't like us. But in chapter 13, we see Abram trusting these promises once again. We see him repent. In fact, in, in 12, 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 20, we see we see God fulfilling these material promises. He blesses Sapphira, commanded all his men. He, he sends him away with all that he had given him. More than this, Abram, after he comes back to the land, we see that Abram, verse 4, he comes to the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. In fact, the, the sequence of events, the way, this is from his from the south as far as Bethel, the way and where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, that's verse 3. The way this is worded, it's very clear. It, he is retracing his steps. He is repenting here. He is acknowledging that he had failed. And he comes back to the Lord and he sees God fulfill his promises. Fulfilling his promises to bless him to bless him materially, fulfilling his promises to bless those that bless him and to curse those that curse them. By, by sending the plagues on Pharaoh, he is fulfilling that promise. And Abram is trusting, by giving Lot first choice to the land, he is trusting that God will continue to be faithful to that promise. So Abram, verse 8 all this hostility, says to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. And this is the point in the ancient world where it would have made sense because Abram is the patriarchal leader. He is the head of the house. Everyone does what he wants. It would have made sense for him to say, Lot, you're going here, I'm going here. Instead, he leaves us in the Lord's hands by giving the decision over to Lot. And Lot makes his choice. And Abram trusts God. He is trusting that God is faithful. Even when he, is, even when he has been faithless, that is, Abram has been faithless. And why would God be faithful? Why would God continue to fulfill his promises to Abram? I love those verses, that verse we find in 2 Timothy 2.13. It reads this, If we are faithless, 
the Lord remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Do you hear that? If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Those whom Christ has bought with his own blood, we have been so united to God through faith, through the finished work of Jesus. Therefore, God to deny us would mean that he denies himself. So not only is God, not only is he willing to be faithful to us, he is eager to be faithful to us. Because he is not forced into a corner because he has made some promises. He wants to be with all of his being so far from our faithlessness disqualifying us from the faithfulness of God. It is our, it is our unfaithfulness that decorates the faithfulness of God. And God rewards we see God rewards those who act in faith. He rewards those who act in faith. And we see this towards the end, verses 14 to 18. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number them, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then, acting on that faithful promise, Abram responds by moving his tent. And he goes and he dwells by the terebinth trees, this location of Mamre, which would have been probably known to the people of Israel at that time. This, these trees which are in Hebron, and there he builds an altar to the Lord. And it's impossible for us to dwell on these verses. We don't have enough time, but let me just draw two things. The first is that in light of God's, sorry, in light of Abram's faith, God recommits himself to Abram, recommits to his promises. And more than that, he expands on his promises. And she says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Descendants will come from you. Here, your descendants will be like the sand on the shore. Innumerable, uncountable. More than this, God invites Abram to live in the reality of that promise. Do you see in verse 17 where the Lord tell, invites him to walk in the land Walk throughout it and, and look at it. What he is, he is calling him and inviting him to say, look, this is the land I give you. I know you don't own one square inch of it yet, but I want you to walk in it. Like an owner is going to inspect and walk around his property and home, you, this is my invitation to you to walk through this land because it will belong to you. He is calling Abram to live, to imagine, okay, to live in the imagination of what God is going to give him. That is to imagine these promises as already completed and to live in that reality, not hopeless, not fearful, but in faith, in confidence, and in joy. 
Brother and sister, you and I will be well served to live in light of the promises that God makes to us as well. The promises that you and I have are different than the promises that God made to Abram. He doesn't promise to give us lots of children and a lot of nations, uh, descendants flowing from us. He doesn't promise to give us a country. His promises are far better. Far, far better. And we would be well served by meditating on what God has in store for us and living in light of that. To have, as, as one writer has said, to have heaven stamped on our eyeballs so that wherever we go and whatever we do, we cannot help but see what God has in store for us. I mean, what would it look this afternoon? This would be a perfect afternoon after the members meeting for you to go home and just read the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 21, the very first opening lines of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like, what God has in store for us. And to begin to try to close your eyes and imagine that. What would it look like at work, at that job that you may not like, with people that you may not like, for you to work well, for you to love, work hard, knowing that your work will be rewarded for all eternity? How freeing would it be to read or watch the news knowing that God's promises to you can't be shifted or shrunk by one square inch because of what is decided in Washington. How would eternity reshape your evaluation of your needs? I was just looking this morning at our, at our memory verse this week. Luke 12, 32 to 34, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What if you lived the rest of your life in light of those words? It is the Father's good pleasure, not stinginess, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And Christ unpacks what that should look like. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where there is no thief and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If we only live once, we are going to spend every dollar to maximize our joy and our comfort and our pleasure here and now. But what if you don't only live once? What if the rewards that Christ has promised are true? So you lose that retirement in the stock market. So you lose. So you gain. And your joy is not shifted one iota. And some of you are tiring yourself out now with running after children. Some of you are changing diapers, cleaning little hands, cleaning little feet, cleaning mouths, cleaning bottoms, just doing a lot of cleaning. You wish that you just had time to take a nap. 
to spend a few hours by yourself. And one day you will experience the rest that Christ invites you and calls you to. And how would your days be changed if you could just remember that all those aches and pains will disappear for good one day? Those problems with your memory will be the only thing that you forget. And the holes in your heart of the lost loved ones will be filled. Live in light of those promises. There is coming a day when all that is lost, all that is in danger in this world and in our lives now will be but a blip on the scales of eternity. And we will count it all joy to suffer for Christ if that's what he calls us to because we have eternity waiting. Brothers and sisters, we need to live in light of heaven, to live in light of God's promises to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you have made such glorious and good promises to us. Help us to remember them. For those promises are really real. Help us to live by what you have said, not by what we sense with our eyes, not by our own wisdom, but by your word. Help us, O oh God, to see and to savor you forever. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.